I want to thank those of you that are watching or listening from home right now. Wherever you're tuning in from, we are so honored and blessed that you would choose to spend a little bit of time with us today. And, and our hope and our desire in creating this entire experience is that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you and that the birth of Jesus changes everything about our lives. Now, I don't know if you had the same experience I did growing up, but waking up Christmas morning, there was always some tension, and here's why. My sisters and I would go, and we'd wake up my parents and say, it's Christmas morning, and, and they would get up, and they would always say the exact same line. They would tell us, all right, you guys wait in the hall. We're gonna go get things ready. And I remember thinking that was like hearing a death sentence. That was the worst thing possible because it meant we had to wait in the hallway. There was a door between us and what Christmas would be and they would turn on the lights, the Christmas lights, and they would begin to make breakfast. And, and before we had the Keurig, right? Before we had those amazing coffee machines, they would grind the beans in the coffee maker. I would hear the slow drip of coffee into the coffee pot. And I thought to myself, man, it is going to be 365 days before we ever get to opening these gifts. You see, waiting is so difficult. And friends, 2020, hasn't this been the year of waiting? Uh, some of us are waiting for new information. Some of us are waiting for a vaccine. Some of us are waiting for toilet paper to be available again on the shelves. That this season has been one of perpetual waiting. And waiting can actually bring out the worst in us. I, I was at Starbucks recently and I was talking with the barista who was taking my order and I asked her how busy they've been in this quarantine. And she said, oh, we've been incredibly busy, but people, have been getting very frustrated at how long they've had to wait. And I said, well, tell me what you mean. And she said, well, the other day, a woman placed a mobile order and she came and none of her drinks were ready when they were supposed to be ready. And we were hustling, trying to get them all together. And, and she had to wait. And by the time her drinks were ready, she began to yell at all of the Starbucks baristas. I mean, she just let them have it at how frustrated she was. Well, it, it got so bad that there was another customer in line and she began to talk with angry mobile order lady and said, hey, chill out. They're doing the very best that they can. An angry mobile order lady starts yelling at customer lady and they start going at it. And it gets so bad that literally a fight breaks out like a brawl like literally UFC in a Starbucks happens police are called to break up this fight you see waiting can do a number on all of us and Israel the people of God they had experienced what it was like to wait in fact they had been waiting 400 years before Jesus showed up there were no new prophets. There were no new revelations. There were new Messiah text message updates coming straight to their mobile phones. There was none of that. And they were waiting for God to speak. And oh boy, did God speak. In fact, he didn't just speak, but God showed up powerfully. 
And what was incredible is while Israel was looking for a new earthly king or while they were looking for a new earthly prophet or a new, new earthly priest, Jesus shows up and he, he isn't just the king of Israel, but he is the king of the world. And he's not just a prophet with a message, but he is the message. And Jesus was not just a priest performing sacrifices, but Jesus was the sacrifice. And we have four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. And Christians call those gospels. And each one of these biographies, each one of these historical narratives, each one of these gospels tell the story, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But what's interesting is two of them, Matthew and Luke, spend a lot more time talking about the birth story of Jesus. And Mark and John they don't spend as much time there, which is why in most church services around the month of December, you're gonna hear a lot of verses out of Matthew and Luke, and you're not gonna hear as much out of Mark and John. And honestly, I don't feel bad for John. In fact, I wanna rewind the clock and tell John, hey, John, if you wanna get some airtime in December, you gotta talk about the juicy details of the birth of Jesus. You gotta include them if you wanna get some airtime. And yet, friends, I wonder if what John was after was helping us focus our attention around this question. I think this is the question that John was going after and it's this. What difference does the birth of Jesus make? What difference does the birth of Jesus make? Well, for, for, for just a few minutes here, I wanna talk about this big idea that the waiting is over and hope has come. The waiting is over, hope has come. Well, what difference does the birth of Jesus make? I believe that it, it installs into our heart and our lives a durable and an eternal hope. And friends, you and I, we need hope more than ever before. It's why the American journalist and author, Greg Easterbrook, he says this, Adjusting for population growth, 10 times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. And one of the reasons maybe you and I don't have happiness or don't have any joy is because we have lost our hope. And here's, here's the key. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hoping is not crossing your fingers and hoping it works out in the end. That is not what hope is. Biblical hope is confidence to keep moving forward. Hope is the confidence to keep moving forward. And I don't know right now where you're placing your hope in, but my hope and my desire for these few minutes that we're gonna share together is that you would place your hope in Jesus. And I think there's four really good reasons, four realities of hope that will give you and I the confidence to step forward in the direction that God wants us to go. Big idea number one is this, hope 
is visible. We're going to be using John chapter 1 to see what hope really is. Beginning in John chapter 1 verses 14, hope is visible. It says this, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John is saying very clearly to you and I right now, this profound truth. Hope is not a philosophy. Hope is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Hope is not wishful thinking out there. Hope is not a philosophy. Hope is is a person showed up, God in a bod, Jesus Christ, the man, God, fully man, fully God. We can see hope. And hope was recorded for us in the scriptures. You see, our problem is we usually put our hope in some kind of philosophy like karma, or if I just do this, it'll be reciprocated to me. Or we put our hope in the wrong people. You see, friends, some of you in 2020, you put your hope, in other words, you put your confidence in a coworker and they let you down. You put your hope in a spouse and they forgot about you or left you. You you put your hope in a child and they walked away from you. You put your hope in a boss, but they overlooked you. You put your hope in a boyfriend or girlfriend, but they betrayed you. Or maybe you still have your hope in one of those things. Maybe your hope is in the great income that you're bringing in right now. Maybe your hope is in your behaving kids or in your good job or in your comfortable life. And friends, I wanna tell you, you are looking in the wrong direction and you are putting your hope in the wrong thing. If it's your kids, if it's your spouse, if it's your job, if it's your comfortable life. Oh, hope is visible, but it's not in those things. It's in Jesus Christ that God made his dwelling among us. He set up shop here. He came for us so that we could physically see him and know him. He left heaven with the father to come to earth to be with you and I so that we wouldn't miss him. And here's what's really interesting is all throughout the New Testament, hope is always anchored to Jesus Christ. Christ. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope always is attached to a person, and that person is always Jesus Christ. But not only is hope visible, hope is reliable. Look at what it says in John chapter one, verse 18. John says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. John says, not only can you see hope, but you can rely on hope because hope is God. Jesus was completely God and completely man. That Jesus is eternally trusted trustworthy. 
It's why he says earlier in John chapter one, verse one, literally the first lines out in his biography about the life of Jesus, John says this, in the beginning was the word, it's talking about Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. It means everything Jesus said, you can trust, you can rely on, you can bank your life on, you can have confidence to move forward no matter what things have fallen apart this year. You can step forward in confidence, relying on Jesus because he is God Almighty. There is no more powerful being that you and I could tether our hope to. See, friends, Jesus wasn't talking about hope. Jesus is our hope. But it really raises an interesting question. I think for every single one of us tuning in, it's not really a matter of do you have hope? Every one of us have hope in something. We're putting our hope, in other words, we're putting our confidence to move forward in something. The much larger and much more important question this Christmas season is this. Is your hope worth hoping in? I want to invite you and encourage you to challenge the thing that you are putting your hope in and to ask the question, is your hope worth hoping in? Because if your hope can expire, if your hope can be destroyed, if your hope can be overpowered, then it should not be the thing you are hoping in and it is not reliable. But friends, let me just get preacher for a minute. Jesus cannot be destroyed. Jesus cannot be eliminated. Jesus cannot be removed from the pages of history. Jesus cannot and will not stop working through his church, advancing his kingdom, growing his Work in your heart and in your life. Jesus is crazy about you. He is coming for you. He's on a rescue mission. He was born, died, rose from the dead so you would know crystal clear that he loves you and cannot be exterminated or washed away. See, Jesus is a reliable hope for you and I. The, uh, the 20th century British preacher and, and philosopher, H.H. H. Farmer, he says this, I love this line, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. How powerful is that? If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. In other words, if you go against the grain of the universe and find your hope in something that can be eliminated and something that can go away in something that's temporal, you will get splinters in this life. In other words, you will be full of regret and pain and agony, but if your hope is tethered to and anchored to the person of Jesus Christ, you will not be let down no matter how scary and dark the days become because our hope isn't going anywhere. It's why Paul, towards the end of his letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, he's talking to Christians who have lost someone, who, who are experiencing grief. And this is what he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, this verse gets misinterpreted a lot. Paul is not saying don't grieve. He's not saying don't feel sad. In fact, Paul says we should grieve. And hello, 2020, there is a lot to be grieving right now. I can't think of a, 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 a 
place in the marketplace or uh, an industry or, or a profession that has not been impacted by this. If you're a parent homeschooling, if you're a first responder, if, if you're a police officer, if you're a medical professional, if you have a small business, if you work for a large corporation or a small corporation, if you're experiencing homelessness, if you're a teenager, every single type of person has been impacted by what's going on in our world right now and is in some way grieving. But friends, because our hope is visible and because our hope is reliable, we don't have to grieve as if we have no hope. In fact, we can have the confidence to move forward even with the sadness and the pain because our hope is eternal and our hope is reliable. Number three, not only is hope visible and reliable, hope is transferable. Oh, this is the, the, the gospel. This is the very center of the gospel. Hope is transferable. Look at what John the Baptist says in John chapter one, verse 29. The next day, John, this is talking about John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, he had a large crowd around him and he said, look, and everybody's eyes went towards where he was pointing and he was pointing to Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, there's no more profound statement than that. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, friends, can I just get real honest with you? This passage, this verse is so powerful because in the, in the original language, when it says in our Bibles, take away, you could also translate it, takes up or picks up. So in other words, John the Baptist is saying, look, the Lamb of God, look, Jesus, who picks up our sin, who takes up our sin on himself and makes it go away so we could be free. In other words, Jesus picks up all of my lust, all of my anger, all of my pride, all of my selfishness, all the junk and stuff that make up all the broken parts of my life, Jesus picks it up. Can you imagine anything more sacrificial or loving? It's like what parents do for their kids, right? We take them when they're just at their worst and when things are, when they're struggling or when they're dirty and they need a bath and, and there's just all kinds of messiness in their lives and we take them up and we care for them and that is what Jesus has done for you. With every secret you keep, every hidden struggle, he wants to take it up. And then here's what's incredible. Not only is there a transfer of my junk and brokenness and sin to Jesus, but there is a transfer of Jesus's forgiveness, his salvation, his love, his joy, his peace, his hope, and all of it gets transferred to you and I. It's almost like God has a spiritual Venmo account that he is just transferring his whole self to you and I. He's not holding back you and I don't show up to that restaurant and realize, man, I don't got a lot of money in my account. I'm gonna have to split a meal. I'm gonna have to have a side salad. No, no, no. God gives us all of himself for all of eternity. You and I, our account is full because God in Christ through his birth, death, and resurrection has transferred everything to us. 
and to you. Our count, if we are in a relationship with Jesus, is overflowing with hope. And lastly, not only is hope visible, not only is hope reliable, not only is hope transferable, but hope is shareable. Oh, this, is, this is that part where you recognize, and I recognize this story of Jesus is too good to keep it to ourselves. It's too good to not share. Look at what happens in John chapter one, verses 40 to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew begins following Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, to find Peter and to tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And then listen to Jesus's words to Peter in the gospel of Matthew. He says this, and I tell you, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Do you see what happened? Jesus came to Andrew, Andrew went to Peter and now by the grace of God, Peter's message has come to you and I. The gospel of Mark was recorded to Mark by Peter. There's two letters in the New Testament with Peter describing what God had done in his life. Because of Peter's story in the biographies of Jesus, you and I have the hope that we too can experience God. Jesus used Andrew who connected with Peter whose message came to you and I. You see how the hope is transferable, that the hope of Jesus can be shared? I wanna tell you about two guys who you probably have never met and, and had no idea that they had a profound impact on your life. This man's name is Bobby and this man's name is Sam. And they both worked for a really well-known church and Bobby had the idea that it would be really cool to create a Bible app for smartphones and he recruited Sam when he was 19 years old to design the very first Bible app on the Apple store known as the YouVersion Bible app. Listen to this. The YouVersion Bible app was one of the first 200 apps in the app store. And it was the first ever Bible app. In its first year, the YouVersion Bible app was downloaded 1.5 million times. 12 years later, right now, currently in 2020, 437 million people have downloaded the Bible app. Every month, 5 million people download it, which equates to two downloads every single second. And that all began with an idea from Bobby and Sam as a night. 18 year olds. You see, half a billion people have the Bible on their smartphones because these two men believe that hope is shareable. Because these two men were absolutely convinced that everybody should know about the message of Jesus. 
See, friends, I want to close with one of my favorite quotes from St. Augustine. He was the fourth century North African theologian, and he said this in his prayer to God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Your need for hope is innate. It's a part of what it means to be human that you and I need some kind of confidence to keep moving forward. And I just wanna share that unless your confidence is rooted in Christ, you will be let down and you will be limited in what God's desire is for your life. And so friends, I, I beg you to consider that hope is visible, that hope is reliable, that hope is transferable, and that ultimately hope is shareable. These days can be really difficult, but you and I, we could know hope like never before in this Christmas season. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If right now you're recognizing that your hope has been in something temporal, it's been in, in something that will eventually go away, and you want to put your hope this Christmas season in what Christ has done for you, you simply have to say, Jesus is Lord. And you simply have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will know the hope that only comes through a relationship with Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single person tuning in. God, I pray for anybody watching or listening who has not put their hope in you, that they would be convinced, not by anything I've said, but by your Holy Spirit, that you, Jesus, are the only thing that we can truly tether and anchor our hope to. And so God, would anybody watching who hasn't made that decision, make that decision today. And God, would they experience and know your hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.